0: You're listening to Level Up Game Product Managers Edition with Melissa Zalouf from Iron Source and Joe Kim, the founder of Game Makers.
1: Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing and, of course, playing games. This week's episode is the second installment in our new mini-series focused on game product management. And the subject is how user acquisition and product management teams at games work together and the advantages that can bring we're joined by my wonderful co-host for this mini series Joe Kim who's the founder of the game makers blog and youtube channel and by Nebo from Network and John from Smule who are both running UA at their respective companies hi everyone and thanks for being on the show
0: Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having us. us. I thought we could just first start by having Nebo and John, if you guys could first talk about your backgrounds and kind of what you're working on now.
2: Yeah, sure. I'll start. Um, By the way, I like how when they introduce me, they usually say Nebo from Network. It sounds like Network is my band. And uh, it is, in a way. I
1: I have to admit something. I meant to ask you before we started how to pronounce your last name, and I forgot. So I was like, right, I'm not going to screw it up. I'm just going to go with Nebo from Network because it sounds punch and so does john from smule so i was like i think this can work um, but yes if you i mean how do you pronounce your last name
2: i uh, usually say radovic it's radovic actually uh, that's, but, what I uh, it, I, so that's what
1: i thought so that's what
2: okay well yeah but it's it's funny though because uh, before i was nebo from network i was nebo from machine zone that sounded like a band as well so yeah okay i'll start i'll, I'll tell more about myself um i'm nebo i run ua at network uh, network is a mobile game developer based in san francisco Uh, We're best known for the game, uh, Legendary Game of Heroes. Um, Recently, we announced a partnership with uh, Tetris. Uh, Before that, I worked at Machine Zone that I mentioned and uh, Nordius, which is another successful game developer from Europe.
3: Cool. I guess I'll go next. Um, So my name is John Lau. I am uh, the director of UA at Smule. And if you don't know Smule, Smule is a 11-year-old, very music-oriented app company based in San Francisco, uh, you probably know of our legacy app, uh, Sing Karaoke, uh, which has recently been rebranded as Smule. Like many people within the UA industry, I actually started my professional career in banking. And one day I decided banking was too boring. I uh, reached out to a, f- a friend of mine uh, by the name of Adam Ben-David and joined a company called Supersonic, which is uh, uh, eventually acquired or merged with uh, iron source. Um, And from there really kind of springboarded me from the supply side to demand side and into UA. And I've never looked back.
0: Great. And just as a reference for people in the audience, We actually discussed this topic in terms of the collaboration and integration of user acquisition and product management teams. First with you, Nebo, as a video interview on my GameMaker's YouTube channel, and then with you, John, during a UA roundtable that we co-hosted together in LA. But for me, it's really exciting to have both of you here together discussing this topic because, you know, I actually think that both of you are kind of in the forefront in terms of thinking about this issue today. And so, When we think about the past one to two years, it seems like there's been an increasing strategic competitive advantage deriving from having, you know, the user acquisition and product management teams work. Uh, more collaboratively together. But I thought we could first start by talking about why do we want this? And maybe starting with you, Nebo, what kinds of advantages and how much of an advantage does working together give mobile game teams?
2: Yeah, sure. So I think the major change that happened in the industry is that more and more games rely on uh, monetization using live up services where, um, you know, their games are monetized using weekly or daily events. And, um, As a result of that, monetization is much more complex and relies on events, on a lot of different experiences in the game versus just having one sort of linear experience where monetization is pretty much the same uh, for every single user. As a result of that, you know... uh, we had to change the way we approach user acquisition because so much depends on the events. We had to like track how monetization changes when we implement different things in the game. And what, what really this allowed us to do is to be more aggressive on the spend side and understand better how and where we can spend money to grow the game. If you're a small company such as Network or around 100 people, this is really crucial for you know maintaining your cash flow and making sure that you know you grow as ag- aggressively as possible while maintaining your payback windows and making sure the company is financially healthy.
0: And Ibo, just to get a little bit more specific in terms of what the the two teams are collaborating with together, would it be things like coming up with ROAS yield targets, planning UA spend? Could could you be a little bit more specific in terms of some of the specific things that are are being worked on together?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, So it's pretty much all of the above. Um, So in the beginning of the month, we defined RI targets together. Uh, when you work with PMs, and I believe that's something we'll talk about later as well, it's important to kind of find the common language with the PMs, and you know, under, like define targets that are easy to understand for both teams. So if it's RI for the UA team, it be like a D7 or whatever DXRPI for the game team, uh, and then we figure out like what the budget is for that month, um, what the CPI targets and like MPU or like paying conversion targets are for the month. And then based on that, we try to estimate what the revenue for the month is going to be and what is the number of paying users, uh, the highest number of paying users going to be in the game. So once we have that plan, we make sure that we bring as many players in the game and payers in the game that month uh, to hit the target and the game team makes sure that those users are monetized well so we can hit the revenue target together.
0: And then John, I I know one of the um, applications that you talked about was more on the Fatui and and user experience side. Could you talk a little bit about that?
3: Sure. Um, So uh, specifically, when I was at Play Studios, we had a portfolio of um, slot games one of the things that we identified as somewhat broken was that slot innately is a very niche product. And a lot of the people that we are acquiring through user acquisition channels are existing slot mobile slot users, uh, whether it is uh, existing mobile slot users from our existing portfolio or potentially other uh, slot games. So, I guess this flagship game at the time, on My Vegas, the Fatui experience was really teaching someone how to play slots. It's to me that's akin to you know teaching you know the World Series of Poker champion how to play poker for the first time. It didn't make a lot of sense. So we started to take a, a step back, uh, along with the designer, along with the product manager, to really reexamine how that flow should work and taking a look at who we are acquiring. From user acquisition channels. So, for example, if we're running a, a value-based lookalike on our payers and and acquiring them on Facebook, we could safely assume that some of these users are existing slot payers or players. They're likely uh, paid sometime in their lifetime. Um, so, should we then give them the same Fatui experience that teaches them how to play slots? If not. How can we redesign that experience that accentuates the value proposition of MyVegas at the time uh, without making them feel like we're taking them back to kindergarten? And I think that was a very interesting kind of test that we ran um, that gave us some really deep insights as to how we could be designed, not just the FATUI, but also the rest of the user lifecycle.
1: Aniba, you talked about how as monetization became more complex, it led to UA teams and PM teams kind of working more closely together when you talked to, about live ops. How does ad monetization kind of fit into this? Does it create a different kind of collaboration or is it kind of more of the same, yes, we need to work more closely together to make sure that everything's working optimally?
2: Yeah, so ad monetization in our case is handled by the UA team and legendary there is a game is not big on the end monetization side of things. So I might not be the best person to say that, but um, I play a lot of idle clickers and idle games and, you know, Based on, on how frequently uh, placements change and, you know, all the things that I see happening in those games, I'm pretty sure the PM teams even there work closely with UA to make sure that RPI is high, that they can buy aggressively against those targets. But um, again, I'm not the best person to to provide this answer.
3: Um, I guess I can add a little feedback there. At Play Studios and now at SMU, um when I f- first started in both companies, Admonization was looked upon as kind of like this kind of... Filthy thing that no one really wants. Necessary to, evil. But it's like necessary evil, right? And oftentimes it's really just like uh, pl- plug it in and forget about it. So it wasn't really truly incorporated into the gameplay or the game flow in a way that truly maximizes the efficiency of admonization. So using kind of Play Studios as an example, when I first joined, having come from the network side and really was selling kind of admonization. I was early advocate of really bringing in like um, multiple networks and having, I think we actually ended up having IronSource being the supply side platform in which we were actually serving these ads. But there was this fundamental philosophical difference between what the executives felt was acceptable versus monetarily what we were actually providing from the ad revenue front. So we could generate a lot of revenue, but at the core, the CEO or the or the executives might feel like, oh, this is not really on brand, or are we are we potentially canalizing our users?
2: Mm.
3: What we've seen in the last couple of years, not just at Play Studios but also in the industry, is the acceptance of ad monetization as a revenue channel, mm. right? So we don't look at it as something different, rather. It's another tool within our tool set in which we could effectively monetize our users. Um, it's no different from IAPs, no different from developing a new feature. And what's interesting is that like um, both at SMU and at Play Studios, they fully started to adopt this idea and have someone in-house that's truly working on this full time. Um, I know my previous uh, boss and mentor, Rich Shu, is actively looking for someone to do this at Play Studios, uh, simply because of the fact that the executives are now on board, right? They see what companies like Zynga is doing and how much ad revenue they're generating and they understand look, fundamentally, we can do something different and something that's palatable to everybody and make it a worthwhile experience. So I thought that was a very interesting shift in the industry.
2: So I wanted to provide two more examples. One is Adventure Capitalist and um, the other one is Idle Miner Takoon. So if you guys play these games you, you probably notice how they run events as well. It's a uh, part of their job is just to figure out how to serve more ads and events are a great way to do that. So it's really, really, really interesting to see how, you know, even simpler games such as idle clickers are doing live ops, um, like operations to, uh, to basically increase the ad revenue. And as a result of that, to increase RPI, I think just, the things that they have in their toolbox are different, but the end goal is the same to increase the LTV and to make sure that you can scale the game as aggressively as possible.
1: So not to sort of hijack the topic of the podcast, but in a way, um, the same way that, uh, Uh, UA and PM teams are working together the same, or perhaps it's more accurate to say that ad monetization as a concept or as a philosophy, or I guess, as you put it, John, a philosophical approach is becoming thought of more in terms of a product than a layer that's kind of put on top of an existing game. John, when you were talking about your mentor looking for someone to sort of do this, he's looking for a product person or an ad monetization person or both in one?
3: (laughs) Yeah, in principle, I think he's looking for someone who can go in there and really do ad monetization. Full time. My understanding of this role is someone who's going to be working very closely with product, right? Part of it is basic, like waterfall management and like uh, fill management of ad monetization, but really working with the product teams to design placement, to A B test um, how to best surface an ad without interrupting the user's uh, game experience. And I think that's really like part of me is kind of made me jealous of it because I spent three <laughs> years advocating for uh, pushing more ad, ad at Play Studios and without much success, of course, mm-hmm. the moment I left, it became this like thing that everyone wanted to do. And But a part of me feels like I, I'm, I'm actually happy because it's somewhat of a legacy right. that I'm- It's really
1: like having. being the eldest child, right? It's always it's always tougher for the eldest child. I have to sort of like bring, <laughs> I mean, if anyone can't tell I'm an eldest yeah. child, um, but, but yes- uh, that, that makes sense. Talking more sort of zooming out and looking at the industry, um, how many game companies or studios do you guys think are actively kind of working in the terms we've described, sort of collaborating more between UA and PM teams? Nebo, take that first, maybe. <laughs> and then John.
2: I think the number one the re- reason or one of the things that helps us do this is that we're still fairly small. Uh, with bigger companies where u a and and p m teams are siloed, it's much much harder to do so but uh, I'm pretty sure that all companies are our size like which are between fifty and a hundred people that monetize game games um with like live ops efforts do some sort of collaboration at this level um and but I'm not sure whether it's at the same level as we do simply because since the very beginning of like since the very time like when I joined network, we've been doing this and working together with p m teams so I'm not familiar of other yeah. uh, other companies doing uh, doing that at the same so, scale. To right? my
3: understanding, having been on the sales side and working with a lot of different UA teams in the industry. I would say about four years ago, you already saw the introduction of integrated UA teams uh, within product. Um, however, I felt like at the time, most of the most of the UA teams that were embedded within product were simply there to serve a function. Um, so they were simply there to acquire users and that's it. Um, And there wasn't any additional collaboration into how to design the flow better or or, or something like that. I think uh, to Nibo's point, it really depends on the size of the company, right? So if you're talking about a startup or let's say anything that's below 50 people, you're kind of forced in a position where everyone has to wear more than one hat. So you could be UA, but you probably have a pretty deep, understanding of how product works and work very closely and collaborate with the product uh, owners to develop something, you know, that's optimal for the company. Um, but what I've seen in the last year or so is that I'm seeing a revisit of integrated UA teams within product, and I'm starting to see more of this collaboration across many different companies of various sizes. So I think the industry as a whole is understanding that, hey, as what Nebo said, monetization strategies become more complex, more customized. Um, you really need collaborative effort. To provide unified messaging, whether that's in CRM, in UA, and retargeting. It's it's very necessary for all these different stakeholders to work
1: together. And what do you think are some of the, we've established that it's probably a good idea, often necessary. What are some of the reasons why it doesn't happen? Um, Are they sort of purely operational? Nebo, you sort of mentioned, if teams are traditionally siloed, then it's very difficult to bring them together. If they were sort of like merged from the start, then it works well. Is it operational or is it more sort of character-driven or ownership? driven is there any reluctance between teams to work together
2: there's definitely some reluctance simply because you know we're all busy with our like day-to-day you know operations and you know the easiest thing to do is just say hey i'm in charge of you i don't care what's happening in the game you guys figure it out you know i'm 100 sure the users i bring in the game are high quality it's your fault uh, Mm -hmm. and you just that's Mm -hmm. pretty much where you stop caring about about the outcome of your company um, the other problem which is like probably more common than just not caring enough is the fact that it's it's really hard to align these two teams It took us quite some time to figure out the common language you know like it takes a while to teach everyone on the team like how like we hit certain RI goals and why acquiring users on Facebook is different than acquiring users on uh, offer walls or a rewarded video because it's simply different and then there are things we can do together to make the company more, successful, right? So it took us a while to figure out the common language and just to, you know, maybe game teams don't understand R I, but they they understand R P I really well and what are the R P I targets they need to hit. And then once you figure out what's the best way to communicate with PM teams, then, you know, that relationship starts growing and eventually, you know, people start understanding more complex UA concepts and people on the UA team start understanding better more complex PM concepts, which is probably the state we're at right now. I mean, the data science guys or some of the more experienced PM guys on the, on the legendary team understand really well, you know, what UA team does and what are the channels we're buying from and what are the specifics of the channels, which I find quite, quite unique. Uh, and that's something we've been working on for two years, but to provide a short answer, it's not simple. You know, it, it requires us to focus on one common goal and then to work together to get to it, to define a, common language and then to make sure, you know, we build that relationship or grow that re- re- relationship over time. Yeah. And
0: from my experience, it seems like a lot of the, you know, based on these challenges and based upon not having the realization of the benefits of having UMPM teams work together, uh, it, you know, as having been in publishing for the past four years and, you know, having visited many studios, it does seem like, you know, most UA and PM teams are working in an isolation. And part of the reason that we're talking with both John and Nebo is that they seem to be on the forefront in, in terms of this type of co-working. But John, I remember a couple of years back, you you had mentioned to me when you were at Play Studios about trying to have these two teams actually sit together. And I was wondering if you could actually talk more specifically in terms of you know, uh, as far as a cross-team process, how should that be designed and optimized? Two pieces
3: to that I can think of. So first is like the idea of being closer to one another. And I think the best example I can think of is actually there's two. So, for example, at Play Studios, the Konami team in Austin and the pop team in uh, Tel Aviv, they don't look at each function as an individual. They don't look at each, let's say, oh, you're UA, you're CRM, you're engineering. They don't look at each other as, okay, your your own respective team. They look at the product as one team. So for example, using Konami, um, the live ops manager is uh, seated next to the uh, person who's managing the UA, who's sitting next to the product manager and the engineer so that um, there's a a clear understanding of the business needs and the business requirements. Very much to what Nebo said earlier about understanding, hey, what are the product goals this month? And from that, uh, each respective team will design collaboratively how their different functions can serve to kind of hit that goal. And I remember seeing that in the Austin team and see how they work together, and that was actually very, very successful in the way that they can deliver the messages or deliver the experience that they want to the user. POP is another great example where that cross-team kind of management or optimization was really great, where there's a deep understanding of the business needs not just on the UA side, on the product side, but even on the engineering side, right? Because oftentimes when I personally work with an engineer, they see things in a very specific structure. Um, so, uh, one example I can give is like when one instance in that message is broke uh, within one of the apps. And the engineer was like, well, what's the big deal? We could just you know, do a hot fix on the next release. And you know, we had to explain to them, well, from a CRM perspective, it's a, it's a big effing deal, right? Like, You, you also leave loss one of the biggest tools for us to really go out there and, and retouch the user and, and deliver the messages that we want, both on the live ops side, could impact revenue. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, the director at CRM had to really explain that to a senior engineer within the game uh, was really confounding to me. and But I came to realize, well, that's because they're from a personality standpoint, from maybe from the way that they were trained, they were not taught to think in those terms. So breaking that barrier of helping each other understand um, what are the common languages and, and vice versa, right? Because the first time I heard the term agile or scrum, or I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, what's this magical thing you're talking about? And over time, you understand. Okay, this is how an engineer thinks. This is how BI thinks. Allowed us to find that universal language that Nebo mentioned, so that we can think of how to optimize the process between teams. Oftentimes in UA, we talk about how we could optimize our buy, optimize uh, or be more efficient with how we spend our dollars. Well, part of that is optimizing the process between the different functions within a company, right? If I submit a JIRA ticket, it takes engineers uh, three months to get to it, that is not optimal. So how can I help BI understand what my business needs are and how that impacts the company or the product overall so that they can prioritize? Because oftentimes they're looking at it from a prioritization perspective. They have a hundred different things that are broken. So what makes it UA any different from any other function? So building that relationship, both personally, but also functionally, it's important for us to be able to kind of excel at a faster pace. Um, I hope that answers your question.
0: Got it. And then, Nebo, for you at Network, could you also talk about how you've kind of designed and optimized your cross-team processes? In particular, maybe if you can be specific in terms of whether it's goals or communication or meetings or things like that, and like how, how is that designed at Network?
2: Yeah, so to add to what John mentioned and, uh, and basically answer your question, I think it all starts from senior management and should be in charge of uh, defining the, the common goals for the product team as a whole, including the UA team or the product really, not just the product team. And when you have one goal uh, that works for all teams, which is if we hit this number this month, then, you know, we were successful, right? And then what happens with that is that there's no pointing fingers when people have the same goal. It's not like, hey, UA guys, you're you're not doing your job well. The users you brought us to the game are simply not good. Why are you doing this? We cannot hit our goals because you guys cannot do your job well, and vice versa. Like the uh, the UA team cannot, you know, blame the uh, the game team uh, for not being able to monetize users well enough if they have the same goal and they work together on hitting that goal. So there's more transparency, and as a result of that. Um, you know, uh people are more focused on action than blaming each other, which happens quite often in big companies. So how does this work? It's, uh, in, in our case, we have daily meetings where we just go over the high-level metrics, try to understand, have there been any changes in the game that could potentially impact UA, both from like a positive or a negative way? We just go over the like ROI numbers and what happened in the last uh, few days. And then we look into the event performance because we run mm. w- weekly events. We've been running events for like 180 weeks now, which is quite impressive. And uh, we're just like trying to understand, you know, what's the impact of the current event on the payback windows and on the monetization of the game as a whole and then we try to understand what are the things we can do next week to improve the the performance whether it's uh, more engagement campaigns if we have like a new, fresh piece of content that's really cool and people want to see or uh, something we can do on the UA side to promote new characters or to like buy more from certain channels if we improved onboarding. So we have these discussions. They don't necessarily have to be long discussions, uh, maybe like a few minutes uh, where we just update each other on the you know latest and greatest in UA and PM. And basically everybody moves to their own respective teams and uh, continues working on whatever they're working on. But key here is to have like a process and to be transparent with each other and just make sure that everybody understands what's going on on each side. Uh, what are there are any significant game changes or UA changes that could change the way the game monetizes. Hey, Nebo,
3: quick question. Um, when you guys are developing the goals like internally, um, do you guys separate between, um, let's say, new cohort revenue that UA can bring in Uh, Or the percentage of new cohort revenue that uh, UAs bring in versus like the uh, older cohort uh, revenue that from existing users. Do you guys differentiate between these two when you guys are determining the goals so that you guys can actually measure or project the potential impact of how much money UA can actually bring in? on a monthly basis versus what's coming from existing users?
2: Yeah, definitely. So that's automated at this point in that work. It's part of the platform suite of products. And what happens is basically once we define targets, let's say we're going to spend $2 million this month, average CPI is going to be $10 or random number $5. Um, Average payer conversion rate is going to be 3%. I'm just like giving you random numbers. And then we figure out, okay, if we hit these numbers, this is how much money, uh, like, same month's cohort is going to contribute. Let's say it's going to be 15%. So we're going to make 300k out of the same month's cohort, August cohort in this case, and all the other revenues coming from older cohorts. But because we understand the LTV curve really well, uh, we can basically automate that process. And we just need to input what the UA spend for the month is. And uh, the the script or the uh, Cavendish product, as we called, is just going to provide us an answer on what the monthly revenue target is.
0: So Nebo thanks for your response. I just wanted to actually highlight for Our audience, the point that you made about user acquisition and product management teams actually having an aligned goal. And just wanted to highlight just how important that is, because in practice, as you pointed out, a lot of user acquisition teams and product management teams can come at odds and have this kind of blame game happen where they become more adversaries rather than partners working together. And in many cases, you know, having that collaboration and common goal could be very critical to the success of a game. So I just wanted to highlight that point.
1: I actually, I have a question about timing, I guess. Do you guys find that collaboration is more important or becomes more critical at different stages of kind of a game life cycle? Um, Is soft launch kind of a very heated time of collaboration and it sort of tails off and then sort of recharges around specific events, let's say, or I mean, you know, you've both sort of described systematizing or I guess creating processes around bringing these two teams together. But do you find that there are sort of certain times in a game's life cycle where you are working more closely together because it's simply unavoidable?
3: I can go first. I think realistically and ideally is uh, from the dawn of a game um, the these teams are working closely together. Because a lot of times right now, what we're going through, or at least what I'm going through is, I'm trying to build this process into an existing process, right? So you have, what's existing is that these teams don't talk to one another, or they don't collaborate together as closely as they should. And it's very hard because you have to break a lot of habits, you have to break a lot of like uh, existing processes in order to implement new ones. So ideally, um, if you are creating a new game, and From the get-go, you guys are already building these functions in where the Mm cross-team collaboration happens. To me, that would be the best case scenario.
2: Uh, for us, it's we pretty much start from the very, very beginning. It's basically even when you're just in your ideation phase, thinking about what the new games should look like, like teams could already start working with the UI team to test, you know, the look of the game, the the basic idea, basically to test the early MVP of the game so we could understand as early as possible whether that particular game or product has a chance to become a hit mm. or not. <laughs> um, and then the more mature the product is, uh, the, the relationship intensifies because it's like there There's very little you can do in the soft launch phase. I mean, you can test obviously and drive like a few hundred or like a few thousand installs a day. But, you know, the real fun part starts when, you know, the game is launched worldwide when you operate in 200 countries and there are so many different kind of levers that you pull. That's when you can get the most out Mm -hmm. of this relationship. In the very beginning in the soft launch phase, like I think that's where we get back to the old UAPM kind of relationship where it's just like, hey, what's going on? How many installs can we drive today? And what's the retention? But you really need scale and a complex monetization system to get the most out of this setup.
1: And do you think we're going to see this happen with more teams? more widely in the game industry sort of not just UA or monetization I mean I guess at a certain point you, you kind of run out of teams but do you think we're going to see more merging and kind of breaking down of silos or are there sort of places limited places where this kind of collaboration works
2: it's, it's, it's a good question I mean you, there's definitely the opportunity to improve like the way you know our teams work with UA and data science but there's a point where that's not really efficient it's like okay should all teams work with all other teams I'm pretty sure if you study organizational management, whatever, different management, it's cool that somebody tried that at some point, just wanted to create super flexible teams. But at some point, like you reach a point of diminishing returns, and that's not really smart. With UA and PM teams, you're like de- directly working on a very specific thing, which is make the product make more money or directly contributing and that's you know, that's a very important goal for the company and as a result it makes a lot of sense for those teams to work together. But you know, UA team you could argue that makes the same same sense to work with the C S T C S team or QA team, but I guess that the benefits of those two teams working together are not as high as the benefits that we get from working with the PM team.
1: Right, and not higher than the costs of trying to make them work together.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we should look at everything through like an RI lens uh, in a company. And in certain cases, like the RI is simply not there um, to use the UA lingo.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: No, I 100% agree with what Nemo was saying. I think, um, you know, what I'm seeing now is user acquisition teams are starting to better understand how product lifecycle works how to um, build or design a marketing strategy around what product is doing and vice versa having product understand what are the levers that ua can actually pull right it's not just go oh there's a magic button called scale and volume that we could just press um, <laughs> think, yeah, if, if only right. And but beyond just product, I think going back to what I was saying earlier about cross-team process management, um, it's really um, working closely with like BI or or analytics. Um, of course, if you guys don't have an embedded member or at least a, a dedicated member of, for us at SMU, we have centralized BI engineering. We have centralized analytics, so we oftentimes have to go to them. Uh, for support for various items. Um, so having that collaboration, building that relationship or those bridges so that they can prioritize your tasks similar to how uh, product can potentially prioritize uh, UA needs when they're thinking about product design can be very, very helpful. The parts where I don't think it would be helpful, uh, again, to Nipo's point is working with CS or QA, where I think it's nice to have some visibility, but it's not ultimately going to be a game changer when we're talking about essentially growing revenue or building the company into a higher milestone.
0: One last question for me, guys. In terms of areas of competitive advantage, what do you guys think are the other big areas, user access acquisition or product management team should be looking at. It seems like there are some kind of popular areas that are being discussed, whether it's creatives optimization, machine learning-based bid and budget optimization, uh, sales and merchandising. Is there anything I'm missing or what what are you guys thinking about?
2: I have two uh, main thoughts here. One is basically not just uh, machine learning-based bid and budget optimization, but also customizing experience in the game using uh, the attribution data and, and UA data. So potentially a Facebook user should have a different onboarding experience and monetization experience than a user who comes from like an incentivized channel. I think John mentioned earlier today that, you know, players who play slot games already know how to play slot games. So there's no need to teach them how to play slot games. So I think the customization and kind of more granular approach in tailoring experience is going to happen on both sides, on both the UA and PM side, because we simply can't do that right now because attribution data is pretty much real time. And uh, the second thing, that the second thought that I have that I've been thinking a lot is how scalable this really is. Can you do this with 10, 20 different games and why big companies don't implement the same approach? And I think that one of the challenges For us and for the whole industry is how to standardize these processes or create systems and tools that are going to help us scale this to more than just one game. That's something that where also machine learning could play an important role, and it's definitely something we're going to work on. And I agree
3: with that. I think you know, going back to the early example, most UA teams don't only manage u- new user acquisition, but oftentimes retargeting and, and bringing lapsed users back into the app. And I think a uh, true competitive advantage is for UA to really study the user lifecycle and understand you know, what are the pushers and pullers that is leading a user to come or go. So using retargeting as an example, you know, do we truly know why someone churned? For what reason? Right? Slots, for example, did someone leave because they were bored of the content? Or did someone hit a losing streak and lost all their funds and and they rage quit. Now these are fundamentally two very different reasons why people are leaving. So should we then design a different way of reaching them back out to them, right? To to understand what is the value prop of us trying to get that user to come back. And when they come back, what type of experience will we give them, right? Are we just going to plop them back to exactly where they were when they left? Or are we going to design something like a returning user-user experience for these people? Nebo had a great point about scalability. It's very hard to scale once you slice and dice something so fine and so thinly. It's going to be a challenge to understand, okay, how can we group these individuals into manageable uh, segments so that we can scale this? And I think that's where um, machine learning will definitely play a part. And interestingly, in that's actually something we're looking at
1: so guys that was super interesting thank you john from small and nebo from network for being with us thank you thank you for having us it's been very interesting and thanks everyone for listening tune in next episode for more game product managers talking all things gpm related here on level up